Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. This powerful story, which we celebrate every year on this, which we call Palm Sunday, has great meaning and significance to us. Uh, We might look at a story like this and think, well, that was for them. There was something that happened. I really, how does it even apply to us today? We're going to see as we look at the scripture more carefully that it actually speaks to us in our context today. But I want to begin before we go there with giving us a, a, a kind of a background, a context for what was happening on that day. You see, this was the beginning of Passover, the Passover festival, which was celebrated by the people of Israel every year for a long, long time, hundreds of years. And the reason they did this is was a time when they would remember that God rescued them out of a mighty and powerful empire that ruled over them, ruled them as slaves. You see, God heard the cry of his people when they were enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And God called that Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh would let his people go free. Pharaoh refused. And God sent plague after plague after plague, trying to convince Pharaoh to let his people go free. Ten plagues, we're told by scripture, came to the people of Egypt. Each plague was essentially showing God's power over the power of all the gods that the Egyptians believed in. For every plague was essentially a demonstration of God's sovereignty and God's power that was beyond any power that they believed in. The last one, the 10th plague, was one that would come and bring death to the firstborn of every Egyptian family, beginning with Pharaoh's son first. Why? Because they believed Pharaoh himself was a god, and they treated him as such, and his child would be also a god one day. And God was essentially breaking down all these worshiping of wrong gods, now, he told his people, he said, you, this is what you must do. You must select an animal, an unblemished animal, and sacrifice it. And then take the blood from this animal, put it on the doorpost in your home. That night, when that 10th plague comes, the spirit that comes through the city will pass over your home. Your home will not be hit by this plague. Your firstborn will not die. Because I will do this so that Pharaoh will let my people go. And he does. Pharaoh finally releases the people of Israel free. And God takes them out of Egypt into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. And then he tells his people, every year, celebrate the festival of Passover. Every year, gather together, all all the peoples of Israel, gather together, remember that I am a God who rescues. I am a God who is more powerful than any other God. Remember that you are my people and I am your God. Do this every year. 
So in Jerusalem, every year, you would have Jews coming from all over, maybe some moved outside of the city and spread out throughout the land. But on this Passover festival, three festivals a year, uh, one of them being Passover, all the Jews would come back to Jerusalem and the city would swell with masses of amount of people and animals. It would be similar to when uh, the Olympics come into a city today and it just fills up that city with just thousands and thousands of people. That's what would happen in Jerusalem. And that's the moment in which we enter the story that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at such a time as this. And in, in this story, as we're going to look to it, we're going to see God's powerful might of rescue. And now I, I want to begin with giving us kind of an invitation to ask God to help us and rescue us from whatever might be oppressing us. Let me start with this story. There were, I don't know if you remember this, in 2010, I believe, 33 Chilean miners from Chile were captured, uh, ended up stuck underground, 2,300 feet underground because their mine collapsed. You remember that? They made a movie recently called 33. Um, and these guys were doing their job as they always did when the mine failed and closed down upon them and they were stuck underground. Nobody knew if they were going to live, if they were even alive. They did not know if the people above ground believed they were dead or alive. In this group, there was a man called Johnny Barrios, and he was later uh, nicknamed Romeo Minor. Minor. And the reason he was called the Romeo is because while he was underground and he was hoping to be saved from this terrible circumstance, he, they had very little food. They were in the dark. It was, mo it was wet in there. It was, it was dirty. It was dangerous. They didn't know if this would continue to collapse and take their lives once and for all. They didn't know if anybody above was going to come and save them, if it was possible for them to come and save them. And he was hoping to come out of this thing alive. He was obviously desperate for salvation. But the minute he stepped ground above, there were two women waiting for him. One his wife and one his mistress. So you can imagine our friend Johnny so desperately praying perhaps for rescue from being underground, only to walk on ground and deal with a whole set of problems, right? I'm thinking, you and I, we cry out to God to rescue us from our struggles. We cry out to God because we might feel oppressed by something, but, but God wants to rescue us in a way perhaps we don't recognize, maybe from something we don't even know is affecting us. And I believe in a room like this, there's all kinds of ways in which we experience oppression and, and depression and a sense of being held down by something in our lives. And I want to, I want to begin by praying and asking God that as we look at the story, as we consider who God is, we might trust him enough to rescue us from the things that are most keeping us down. Let me pray. Father, as we look at your word, I know, I know in this room are people who are being deceived by the enemy. There are people who are being held back by insecurity, by fears, by anxiety, oh God. I believe there's people here held back by 
financial struggles, financial chains, chains of, of any kind of addiction, oh God, that keeps them from being all that you call them to be. I believe there are people in this room who are held back, God, by the enemy himself, who is keeping them from living the life of victory and peace that you have for us. And so, Father, I believe today you want to break chains. You want to set people free. And this story will help us remember how powerful and mighty you are and how intentional you are and how sovereign you are. You know exactly what each and every one of us needs to be rescued from. And so, Lord, whether we can name it or not, I pray that you would begin your rescue mission here. We give you permission, oh God, to enter into our mess and break through whatever wall needs to be broken and give us freedom and victory. And I pray all these things. Give power to my words, oh God, your power. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the story begins when Jesus tells his disciples, well, he commands them actually, go into the city and you will see a donkey and a colt uh, tying there. Bring them to me. He commands them. And, you know, by now, these disciples have been following Jesus for a time. They see him walking on water, feeding thousands of people. They see him uh, healing people. And just a few days before, he brought Lazarus from the death after he was in a cave dead for four days. I mean, they had seen Jesus demonstrate, right, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge. So here when Jesus says, go over there, do this, they're like, yes, sir, we're on it. So they get on this, and, you know, on surface, when you read it, it's sort of kind of crazy, right? Because it's like, go over there and just grab this donkey from someone. This was a precious possession for someone. This was their, their property. Was, was Jesus saying, go steal the donkey from someone, right? But he already knew. God already foreknew. And, and this shows Jesus and his sovereignty. He knew this man would release the donkey to the disciples. And sure enough, he does. And so they bring the donkeys to Jesus as were commanded. That day in Jerusalem, already the sovereignty of God was going to be on display. That day in Jerusalem, there was a showdown like never happened in history before. You see, Jesus enters Jerusalem through the east. We're told in scripture that he comes from a place called Bethphage. That means the uh, house of unripe figs. It's an area just outside the city of Jerusalem where Jesus comes through, goes down the mountain of olives, goes into the Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, they usually take you to a site where you can see where Jesus entered from the east gate of the city. The city had a gate for each area, east, north, west, and south, and Jesus chose the east gate. Now, this is very important because 600 years before, the prophet Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah, the one who people were waiting for, God promised, I rescue you from Egypt. You're going to fall victims again and again to empires who will rule over you. But one day, a Messiah will come who will give you freedom once and for all and forever. And that Messiah will come into the city of Jerusalem through the east gate. So Jesus is coming through the east gate as was prophesied. But on the other side of the city, on the west gate, we had another entry going on. You see, every year on Passover, 
the Roman Empire would send the governor of Jerusalem, at this time Pontius Pilate, to come in at the beginning of Passover when the city was full of all these people, all these Jewish people. And he would come in through the west gate to demonstrate who was in charge. And Pontius Pilate would come with all the armor and big chariots and horses and weapons and poles with eagles above and all kinds of pompous and noise and dust in the air and weapons. And it was a show to say, you're all sitting here waiting for this savior. Please understand we are in control and there should be no problem during this Passover. Obviously, many Passovers have happened and the Messiah had not come. But little did Pontius Pilate know that day while he was showing his stuff, while he was showing his power, while he was representing the empire of Rome as a powerful, powerful empire. On the other side came the Messiah. On the east side came the Savior, the one who would conquer And how did he come? He came on a donkey. Horses, metal, leather, noisy, dusty, mighty, humble, meek, maybe even quiet. And these contrasts, this moment was this enormous, big, this, this enormous showdown between these two powers. No different than the showdown that happened between God and Pharaoh. Here, God was about to demonstrate this intentional plan to bring in salvation once and for all. And at this moment, as Jesus comes in, it says that he he asks for the donkey and he sits on this donkey. He enters into the city and Matthew goes out of his way to again show us this was prophesied to happen exactly in this way. 520 years before, the prophet Zechariah wrote these words. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That is exactly how it's supposed to happen. And these people were waiting to be rescued from the empire of Rome. That's what they wanted. But Jesus came for not just that, he came for so much more. So I want to give us a moment before we go further for us to identify what it is that we need saving from today. Just right now in your life, what do you feel is oppressing you, holding you down, keeping you from being all that God designed you to be? What is showing itself to be more powerful than God is in your life? How do you feel trapped? By what? What chains are holding a grip of you? And I wonder if you've been praying for God to release you from that. And I pray that today, as you see Jesus, the way he came into the city, that you will experience, you will begin to trust him as the one who can save you from that and so much more. You have it in mind? 
Now look what happened. Jesus comes into the city, sitting on a donkey, as prophesied by, the, by various prophets. And as he comes into the city, people take off their cloaks and their jackets, and they put it before him. Already, these are Jewish people, Israelites, who knew their scriptures, who watch as Jesus came in, and they're putting down all these things like a red carpet right before Jesus. They're taking palm branches They're taking tree uh, bushes, and they are waving it before Jesus and treating him with all kinds of reverence. But all of that was obviously dangerous to do as the Romans were coming in, right? But the most dangerous was that they were not silent. They were yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which in Hebrew, that word is Hoshiana. And that word means, please save us. Please save us. They're asking this guy on a donkey, right? No weapon, no metal, no army, no horses, no chariots. Save us. They recognized that only he could save them. And he could save them in the way that nothing, no one else could. It says this, that the Pharisees were indignant They told Jesus, you must quiet them. You must keep them from making all this noise. We're seriously going to be in trouble. We've got another side over there who's coming in. We're going to be in trouble for doing this. You've got to quiet them. And Jesus says, you don't understand. The powers to be, the cosmic powers are in confrontation right now. Because the king, the Messiah, the son of God has come just as it was prophesied. It's so much so that creation would not be quiet if people were. The rocks would start to worship, he says. If, if, I, if they don't say anything, creation knows what's happening. If these people are blind to what God is doing in this moment, creation knows what's happening. He says these very stones would cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Paul says creation groans for that day. I think it was already groaning then. Maybe people didn't realize what Jesus came to do, but creation knew. And so they yell out Hosanna. And from that very moment, a victory was beginning to be won. And it was a victory that was different than people expected. You know, we're all about horsepower, right? We want to see power. We want to see big things. And Jesus, he was about donkey power. Humility, meekness. In fact, in that passage of Zechariah 9, when we look back at the prophecy, it says that he was victorious, but he was humble. And that word is, in Hebrew, is ani, which means poor. See, God's way of rescuing is not our ways. He doesn't do things necessarily the way we think they ought to be done. How often do you find yourself trying to get God to save you your way? Believing that, that this, oh, this is how it has to be, God. This is the timeline. This is what has to happen first and then this. And this is how it has to look. But this, it's, not, it's not. God is not like us. God sees beyond your current struggle. Whatever you're dealing with right now, Maybe God says, listen, there's something ahead of that, beyond this, that I'm trying to work on in your life. And, and maybe he even uses your current struggle to, get, to work on the next thing. But, but what if we let God be God and do things the way only God can do? What a notion would it be, right? 
Because aren't we control freaks trying to control the outcome? Anybody with me? Okay, good. Whew. I'm not alone. Thank you, brothers and sisters. See, God came in a different way. He sends to us a humble servant. And he sends this king to do the unimaginable. You see, the Roman Empire, the Egyptian Empire before, the Babylonians, all those empires, they conquered through death, but they brought death to others. Jesus comes as a king, the king, the king of kings, comes into Jerusalem to do what? To die. Death does happen, but it's not the death of others. It's his own death. He comes to give his life. His victory is won by his death, by him giving himself to us. And Jesus knew this. He said this in John 12. It's recorded his own words to his disciples. He says, truly, I tell you that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Now, my soul is troubled, Jesus says. So what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then it says that a voice came from heaven when Jesus said this. He says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You see, Jesus came not to do his own will, but to do the will of God. He said that. I came not to do what I wanted to do. I came to do what God had intended all along. Think of the intentionality of our Heavenly Father. Every detail worked out exactly as he planned it, sending Jesus to die for our sins. In fact, Jesus knew this about himself. He says, the Son of Man, he did not come to be served. He did not come to be that kind of a king that sits back in the big throne with the big, you know, all the fancy gold and beautiful stuff and everyone serving and everyone coming and bowing down. He didn't come that way. He came dressed in meager clothing, having no place to lay his head. It says that he didn't even have a place to live. He came humble and he gave his life. Our victory, your victory, whatever you're up against was won is one, will be one by the death of Jesus Christ. It's one in a way that blows our mind because that's not the way we win bottle, battles, is it? It's not the way we do things, but God chooses to do it through the death of his son, through sacrifice, through service for you and for me. God does it his way. And he came to give us three huge, amazing, powerful gifts. You see, one of the gifts he gives us when he does this is his very life. He gives us life, John says, in John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us life, life to the fullest. Your greatest life, the life you cannot imagine. And I'm not saying a life without struggle, a life without illness, or a life without any kind of difficulty, no. But the life that God had intended for you, Jesus came to give you that life and that life to the fullest. He came to give up all that he was, his life, his goodness, his righteousness, his entire existence for you, for you. Now, I... Somebody should say amen to that. Because honestly, think about that. It says in scripture, in Romans, that 
The wages of sin is death. That our brokenness, our rebellion, our selfishness, our way of being leads us to death. And that's where we would go if it were not for Jesus. There was no other way. Jesus asked God, is there any other way? God said, there is no other way. There is no other way to win this victory. There's only but one way to win the victory against the final, final enemy, death itself. And it's by Jesus giving up his life. Today, very moment, at the right hand of the heavenly father is Jesus, 100% God, 100% human, forever eternally changed by his choice to give his whole self on our behalf. That was the plan of God. He died to give us the gift of life. Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, right? The old has passed away. And as Paul reminded us, that's what Jesus come to do. So if you're trapped, if you're like that poor guy, miner underground because of some massive thing in life is keeping you down under and it's keeping you in this dark, lonely, anxious, starving place where you know you are gasping for your next breath. If you're down there, know that we have a Savior who came to give you freedom. And trust him to lead you out of this place by his wisdom, by his power, and not your own. Give him that problem. Release it to him. Let him do it the way that only he can do it. And watch. It's not that you sit back idle. It's that you let him guide you through it. And he might have some things for you to do. But what if you let him guide you instead of running the show like we all tend to do, right? Second thing he came to do was to give us healing, the gift of healing. It says that Jesus went into the temple, and right away, he took off all the tables where the animals were being sold for the sacrifices. And that in itself was not a bad thing because this was done as a tradition from the very beginning where people could buy the animals and then sacrifice them. But what was happening was these uh, religious leaders were keeping people out of the temple, and they were using this system to keep them out, specifically those who were sick, those who were blind, those who were lame, and they were keeping children away. And Jesus gets rid of that boundary. He breaks down that boundary. He clears the temple. He says, this is going to be a house of prayer, and he welcomes. I know we read that, and we go straight from him saying, it's a house to prayer, and then he starts healing. But listen, there had to be a gasp in the room When people who were sick and lame and children started entering the temple and Jesus healed them right then and there. You see, Jesus, our king, the king of kings, he comes to heal us. And I know, I know I need healing. Like David, he says, I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. I need God. I cannot heal myself. There are parts of my life where I need him to intervene. Anybody with me? We might have, we might have you know, things that we can go to a doctor for. And, and yes, thank goodness, God gives us the wonder of medicine. And I'm all for it. He gives us the wonder of psychologists. He gives us the wonder of counselors. 
He gives us all kinds of wonder of food and exercise, which are good for us. All that is good. But ultimate healing, the healing we need deep in our souls, only God can give us that. And Jesus came to say, there is no boundaries between you and me. You come to me. Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you healing. Nothing, nothing, as we talked last week, can separate you from the love of God. And then he came to give us peace. The one who was whole himself, nothing missing, nothing broken, righteous, good, perfect. He gives us his wholeness, which is what we call peace, for our brokenness, for our sin, for our rebellion. He takes our stuff, our ugliness, and he takes it to the cross. You know, as we walk this week now, and we begin to, to remember all of those moments of Jesus on this week as he realized and he was preparing his disciples to recognize he was about to go to the cross. And then on Friday, when we all gather at the worship center and we remember the death, the brutal, horrible, dark death of Jesus Christ, I hope you and I remember that in exchange for all of that, he gave us his peace. While that was dark and awful, he gives us something beautiful, something we need. And do we not want to say, praise Jesus, thank you, Jesus. You know, Oscar used to sit up front here. He'd go, thank you, Jesus. Anybody remember Oscar? I want to hear some of you say, thank you, Jesus, right? Because I know, I know in your heart you want to. Because we, we know that he's the one who gives us that peace. He gives us that peace. It says in John 16, these are Jesus' words. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in the world. You see, life isn't necessarily going to go perfectly. We still live in a broken world. But be courageous. And then I want you to read this with me. I have conquered the world. Let's see that again. I have conquered the world. Not you and me, but Jesus has conquered the world, right? He conquered all things. The greatest enemy, death, he conquered. The greatest enemy, Satan, he conquered. Whatever you're up against is small compared to what God can do. Whatever you are being held down is weak compared to the power of God. Whatever is oppressing you has no say against the power of Jesus Christ. Whatever lies are holding you down is silenced by the power and the truth of Jesus Christ. We hear an amen to that. And I know you need that. I know you need that because I need that. How often do we get re-oppressed, right? We get held down. We forget we have been given the gift of peace, eternal peace, not just for tomorrow, but today for our issues of today. So listen, when those people were lifting up their palms and they were waving and saying, Jesus, save us. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They did not realize what was coming. And maybe as it started to happen, they started to lose hope. You might lose hope somewhere on this journey. But keep your eyes on Easter. Keep your eyes on the one who came back from the dead and now gives us the same gift. Whatever you're dealing with, 
While it might get darker before it gets brighter, it will get brighter because that's who we serve, right? I want to invite the worship team to come and prepare us to worship this God who loves us. I, I hope that you will praise him in a whole different way today as you are reminded of why this day really matters. And one of the things we do here at the chapel is that we actually, it's early. It's 12.01. We are early. And that's on purpose. We create space for you to respond to God. And you guys are pretty amazing. Those of you who come here regularly, as soon as I'm done, you jump out of your seat and you start moving around the room. I'm going to ask you to slow down a little bit today. To sit, sit for just a moment. You see, because let me first tell for those of you who are new what the stations are and then why you must wait before you just jump off your seat. We have the table of communion where we remember that Jesus gave his body for us and shed his blood for us. We are reminded of Good Friday, and we are reminded of Easter, that he rose again. And when we come to the candles where we are reminded he is our hope, he is the light of the world, whatever darkness we're under, he is the light that can bring us freedom and victory and help us live that out. We go to the cross where we confess our sins because the enemy wants to say to us, we cannot be saved from that, that we've done too much. And what scripture tells us, what Jesus tells us is there's no condemnation when we put our trust in him. When we go to the cross, we confess because we believe we are loved, we are saved, and he wants to take that oppression out of our lives. And so we come freely. We go to the offering boxes. They're along the back. We give back to God from his provision because everything that we have comes from him. He is our king. We have the elder team right here, the couple, and then the prayer team around the room where we come together and we worship God in prayer. We bring our petitions to God. We bring our praise to God. We talk about great things in our life. We talk about the challenges. We are reminded that God is present. And then we have this beautiful art display in the chapel. And Angie and Greg Campbell have displayed this for us over Lent. It'll be all set up here at Easter as well. And maybe that's another way for you to relive this experience of Easter, to go to these paintings. One is right here on stage. Be careful if you go up there. But look at these things. Look at this art and have a conversation with God. And now let me tell you why you must not rush off of your seat I want you to think about that thing that's oppressing you, oppressing you, that thing that's holding you back. I want you to take a moment and give it to God and have a conversation with him. And then when you're ready, when you feel like, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to go and go to one of these stations, you can go out of order and just worship you through these stations. I want you to go and release that. And then... Come back together because we want to worship. We want to sing Hosanna. We want to thank Jesus for what he's done. And we want to do it in community with you. All right? So let me pray and then get up when you're ready. Take your time. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for how intentional you are with us. For the way in which you work out these details to demonstrate that you are alive and active in our lives, that you are not distant, you are close, and you understand our struggle. 
And so, Lord, as we take a moment to give you our struggle, I pray that you would help us, Father, let go, to give you permission to enter into our lives and free us and give us victory over the things that hold us down. May this be a time that we worship like we've never worshiped before because we are free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, right? Amen. I look forward to walking this week with you as we relive those moments, those times when Jesus did all this for us. But as you leave today, I want to uh, read to you from Psalm 118. If you go home and you look at your Bible in verse 25th, I'm going to tell you today, you already know how to read Hebrew. Because all four letters, Lord capitalized is Yahweh, right? Yahweh. But the next two words, save us, is Hosanna. Yahweh, Hosanna. There you go. You know Hebrew. And that's going to be my prayer for you today. Put out your hands. Oh, dear Lord, our everlasting Yahweh. Hoshana, save us, O oh God. Grant us success. Come, come into our lives. Bless your children with your presence, with your power and your might. Bring your light, bring your power. Father, that we might give thanks and praise your name every day, with every breath, with every energy. Encourage my brothers and sisters today and this week, ever more so as we celebrate you, our King, our King of Kings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in God's grace. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.